Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. This is my spot. This is uh, the center of the universe. This is where I hang out with uh, Buddha and Krishna and, uh, you know, all those guys. Are you Buddhists? I'm a Buddhist, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Christian, I'm whatever you want me to be. Uh, uh, you know, it all comes down to the same thing. You're in a loving place or you're in an unloving place. If you're with me right now, we cannot be unhappy. It's not possible. I don't think it's about money. I think they have so much. It's, it's, it's a spiritual war, dude. It's so much farther. And these guys, they're all like, you can like, dude... I never trust a dude in a sweater. That's all I got to say. I want to give you a trigger warning. It's like, no, dude. What you were supposed to do, your spiritual practice, is to not be triggered, right? The whole world is trying to trigger you, and you're supposed to realize that your job is to get to zero. And when you get to zero, you are are untriggerable, you know? So that's the goal, is is not to... Who are we? Why are we here? Who are we? Why are we here? Who are we? Why are we here? Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I am your host, Mark, with my co-host, Jay. And joining us today is a, uh, a veteran in the game. He's had the podcast Skeptico since 2007. He is a published author of two fantastic books. He's interviewed the whole gamut of uh, conspiracy, science, fringe, you name it. He's probably talked about it on Skeptico. Alex Sakaris, thank you for joining us, man. How are you? Doing good, Mark. You know, I was, we're going to roll right into this because I'm really enjoying the chat cool, we were man. having a second ago, and it's inspired by the title of your show, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> He's also yeah, on me... Patreon. Yeah. The Fuck yes. Don't forget well, to well, mention I, yeah, I have to mention that we're very grateful because Alex is one of two of our, our patrons. So Alex, I really see, th- I see. I'm, I'm always on the freaking trend, man. I got that from, you know, you were talking about you being a kid and fucking being out there on the alien thing way before everyone else. I can't say I was there on the alien. I came along later, but I do like, I do spot trends. You guys yeah. got something here. It's going to work. Dude, I appreciate that. (laughs) So yeah, like you kind of just brought up, we were talking about how, you know, my family thinks I'm crazy. Obviously, you guys know that part. But, um, you know, I've always been this way. And, and Alex made the point of like, you know, the ball is moving forward, 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 and more people are waking up. And, you know, one of the examples I gave uh, Alex in my own experience is, is how far the conversation on aliens has come. I mean, when I was a teenager, I was interested in Ripley's Believe It or Not. That was the book that freaking opened my mind up to all this stuff. I remember sitting in the car, reading Ripley's Believe It or Not, like spontaneous combustion, UFOs, Sasquatch, everything, you know, was in that book. And, um, 
And that book was like, you know, not hard to find in the library. It was big and shiny. And for some reason, I was the only kid interested in it. And uh, back then, you know, aliens were like in movies, obviously, but the idea that aliens actually flesh and blood existed was very far from the discussion. You know, a lot of people, excuse me, a lot of people don't, you know, still to this day think that aliens exist. Me, I've gone from believing in them 100% to now being very skeptical. I mean, Alex, I actually wanted to ask you this. What do you think? I mean, you said you 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 used to not believe, but like now with, uh, you know, to the stars academy and the tic tac video like what do you think of the government getting involved with aliens so thoroughly dude you just laid out like 10 hours worth of talk there but let's try and deconstruct it because i think there's so many really really interesting points one you know back to your thing i'll I'll just tell you this little anecdote because it's just it really struck me as like a moment for me you know i was um i was watching my my youngest daughter she's in high school and she was playing soccer and this soccer dad you know buddy comes over and says hey you know i know you're into kind of the alien thing right he says i saw the new york times they came out with that but then it all just went away what's up with that? It all just disappeared. You know, this was a couple of years ago. Remember when the New York Times thing, yeah, talk already said, you know, the Tic Tac video and stuff like that. But what was really, I thought key was he got the second part of it. He was already down the conspiracy rabbit hole. And this is, this is a soccer dad guy, you know, he's not like skeptical or anything like that. He's like very, you know, Southern California, but enough out there to, to realize. And that's the wakening up that I think is happening. And I'll give you another example that I always use with people is, you know, you ask people about Epstein committing suicide. You go, do you think that guy really committed suicide? And they're like, no, no, you know, he's in this maximum, most maximum security. You know what's funny about that? The Attorney General of the United States, top cop, he said, yeah, it's the strangest thing he's ever seen. Most bizarre set of, and, you know, I'm not going to get into political because, you know, God, we can only hope, you know, that things get overturned because we've got one satanic group versus another mafia group, and we're hoping that the mafia group wins out. I don't know how we got into that dilemma, but that's it. But the point is, Barr, the attorney general, go back and look for anyone who doesn't remember that. He was like, right out of the party line like yeah you know like we haven't heard this a million times anyone's into conspiracies yeah the strangest most bizarre set of of circumstances it's unbelievable that you know all those things the stars would align and he committed suicide it's like oh dude so you know from there then i think you know we can kind of talk about whether aliens are real I guess where I wanted to go with that, I mean, we can jump into that, but to me, the, the part that's really interesting to me is kind of as a, as a conspiracy community, you know, which you guys are definitely a part of yourself and you're kind of plugged into, I love the union, you know, what you guys are doing and kind of create a, a more cohesive kind of community. Man, I think we got some work to do. And in particular, the one thing I'm on is, you know, Skeptico is 
inquiry to perpetuate doubt. I don't mind shitting on people's ideas. You got to bring it. Whether you're in, we don't give people a pass just because they hang the conspiracy flag. You got to make the shit make sense. You can't be flat earthing it. Flat earth science is not science. It doesn't meet the minimum bar of what's freaking reasonable. I don't care particularly who hears that. I interviewed David Icke a while back. I have the utmost respect for David Icke and how he stood up. You know, think of it, 20 years ago, that guy's filling Wembley, Wembley, and talking to thousands of people and lighting them up and turning them on. But saying that there's no virus, not that, the, you know, the pandemic thing, we all get that it's a pandemic, saying there is no virus, viruses don't exist kind of, you know, no, dude, that's flat earthing the whole thing. There's a lot of complexity there. We do not understand how viruses work. They fake them this way and we don't understand. All, I get all that. You don't have to preach the, you know, somebody's going to, now you're going to get a ton of shit on the terrain, you know. I get the germ versus terrain. Yeah, build your immune. Totally on board with that. But don't come, don't come at me with there is no virus. Well, well, that just doesn't fly. And now I'm going to shit on your, on your thing there. <laughs> there is no aliens. Perhaps, but we do have these craft. They are created by an advanced intelligence, almost assuredly. We can't, you know, unless you're going to do time travel or something. I mean, you can come up with all sorts of kind of things, but to me, it gets to be kind of another Occam's razor thing. It's like we have all the reports, we have all the accounts, we have different things. Why do we, why are we going to jump to that alternative explanation? I know I'm talking long time, but I want to give you guys a chance to talk long time. I want to hear what you say. If you're going to jump to an alternative explanation, you got to tell me exactly why we got to go so far out of the box when, when we go talk to those people in Africa who have been just around the campfire for a thousand years and don't have a written language, and you go to them and go, oh, yeah, they, they're up there, see that star system, Pleiades, that's where they come, and that's why we wear these masks and dump around, and no, we haven't heard anything from the outside. We just know it. Or, you know, you talk about the people I interviewed. Another person I interviewed, woman from Montana State. She's a PhD, anthropologist, already six killer Clark. She's Native American, interviewed a bunch of Native American people. I mean, when I say a bunch, hundreds, collected it scientifically the way you're supposed to. Oh, yeah, they're star people. They come from the stars. They come in these ships. So if we want to step over all that evidence in favor of some other evidence, Bring it. I'm, I'm open to it, but that's where it has to begin for me. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of what you just said. I think what where my doubt comes in as a conspiracy theorist, and I completely support your style of interview where it's almost like, you know, your guests have to be ready for a kind of battle, so to speak. I mean, a lot of guests get too much respect, and they're allowed to just say whatever they want. And I think you do a great job of, of checking your guests and, and, and bringing up points and contesting some runaway points that they might make. And, and on other podcasts, they do the opposite. They kind of just let it fly and, and let the listener be the judge. And I think both are important. You know, we definitely need people to be able to express themselves. But at the end of the day, you know, what are we going to gain other than being entertained if we don't ask serious questions that lead to more inquiry and doubt is the 
you know, vessel for that. You need to have a significant amount of doubt. Otherwise you're just a yes man, like Jim Carrey, you know? So <laughs> I'm just, I, I, I completely agree. I think where my skepticism comes from is, is I've always been, you know, skeptical of the government, skeptical of the president, skeptical of authority. And, um, and that hasn't changed with Trump, but you know, I still like them better than most presidents. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, it's just with the whole alien thing, it just, it just seems like it's becoming more of a corporate, you know, enterprise to promote this type of um, topic. Right. And well, hey, see- on that, on that, I totally agree with you, Mark. Yeah. And I totally agree with you that the, you know, I, I did an interview with uh, Dolan who, again, another guy, I feel privileged to talk to Richard Dolan. I think the guy is brilliant and I love the work that he's done and he's consistently over the years delivered. But, you know, we had a really good exchange and and went hard on the political, that it's the disclosure is a political psyop. It is a political psyop. It's just fucking fake from top to bottom. This old Peter Lavenda, which we'll get into because it ties into the just, you know, like we did first connect on the Alistair Crowley thing that you, uh, Alistair Crowley thing that you did, because it was excellent, and I learned shit. I learned shit that I didn't know. And whenever that happens to me, I'm always like, I catch myself like, God damn, why didn't I know that? But also, I'm like, good, I'm glad, you know, I that I step forward kind of thing. But Peter Lavenda, his story on that is so contrived in terms of, so I don't know if a lot of people know this, I'm jumping into the pool. Peter Lavenda is uh, deep, deep connected with Tom DeLonge. Tom DeLonge, of course, is to the Stars Academy. He's the guy behind the rollout. The thing you're suspicious of, and anyone should be suspicious of, is all these military brass, highest level guys coming up and cozying up to the blink 182 s tom <laughs> DeLong, you're the guy to bre- i mean how does this make any sense at all and, and then I, peter levendis the guy had i'm sorry to interrupt no no forget tom DeLong had like what 50 freemason badges on his guitar i mean I ask a question real quick the guy's connected you know for sure go for it jay what's the i'm i'm complete noob what's the rolling out what is he doing the rolling out of To The Stars Academy, it's kind of like a, uh, in my opinion, it's like a fancy, like, corporate Oprah version of the whole alien world. It's like, hey, let's okay. present this in a nice, neat corporate package for people. And it, it, and by rollout, it's like, oh, we're the authority on this. We're going to, you know, because before, it's just all these different random fringe people like, Oh, I saw a UFO. Oh, I wrote a book on UFOs. And now here comes Tom DeLong. Like, no, no, no. We're to the stars Academy come to us for the alien information. Like that's in my opinion, that's what rollout kind of means. Cause there's an establishment and then there's a fringe and Tom's clearly with the establishment, but please go ahead. So, so exactly. And thanks Jay for that question. Cause I just, I, I zone out there and lay in the groundwork. Right. All right. So the story goes that Tom DeLonge is just a guy, a rock star who's interested in UFOs. So the story goes that he just starts emailing the very toppity top brass 
in the Navy. Because those emails are easy to find. You know? Exactly. And oh, you or I could email them and they just get right back to us and say, hey, Mark, how can I help you? So he starts emailing these guys and these guys start emailing them back. And then he gets together with Peter Lavenda, who wrote these very influential books, Sinister Forces, and has all these kind of shady ties to intelligence, which does he or doesn't he? And then Peter Lavenda's telling of the story is, well, I called up Tom. And no, Tom called up me. And I didn't even believe it. Tom DeLong calling up me. I hung up the phone. I thought it was a prank call. This is really what he says. This is, I'm not making that part up. So he called me back and said, no, it really is Tom DeLong. And I said, oh, gosh. And then we said, we got to get to the bottom of this UFO thing. And Tom DeLong and Peter Levenda said, yeah, we do. The only way we're going to do it is to go to the government. I swear to God, go listen to the interview with Tom Long. This is what he says. In retrospect, and if I play it, play act it like that, you can see how absolutely absurd it is. But no one called him on this. So, yeah, so then we went and we met with the top brass and they said, you know what? All right, we're going to start revealing stuff. And why don't you guys set up this organization to the Stars Academy and we'll start getting you some info that then we can start rolling this stuff out, disclosing the UFO thing. And the first thing that hits, and I interviewed Leslie Kane, who I like a lot. I really respect her. She wrote a super influential book on UFOs. And then she did another one on after-death communication. She was super excited to be publishing the New York Times. Anyone would be. But she wrote the piece that was the big you know, okay, here's the Tic Tac video that we've all seen now of, you know, the thing. So first, right off the bat, you know, that Tic Tac video, when it was released was, I forget, but it was at least eight years old. It was eight years old. Yeah. And it was out on the internet. You know, if you knew where to look, it was already out. There are and others like it too. Others like it. So this is the big, this is the big, I mean, I could, we could have a whole, People have had, and, and a lot of people know it a lot better than I do, but I had a great interview with the guy who was on deck of the ship and was the top gun air traffic controller that was controlling all the, you know, you, you hear about uh, Farber or Farber, what's his name, that, that guy. This guy was like sending him where, and, and there's some amazing stories there. But the point I think where Mark and I are coming from is, for it, it looks like a political, because it's only one side. This is a couple of years ago. But the other thing, I mean, it's only one side. It's as if there wasn't a president of the United States at that point. It was just, you know, Podesta and, you know, that whole side, because Podesta is totally locked into Tom DeLonge. It was that whole side. And again, I don't care what you think about Trump, one side or another. This is completely politicized when it's just coming from one side. It, yeah. And anyways, that is enough said, huh? Or what do you think, Mark? What what would you add to that? No, I mean, I, I'd, I'd hate to add another tangent on, but maybe to wrap it up, I, I think really it something I heard, I think on the Higher Side Chats, the last episode of the Higher Side Chats was, uh, it's funny how they got everyone in the world or everyone in America to either be a conspiracy theorist for QAnon 
or someone who's supporting the CIA and saying like, yeah, go after Trump, impeach him. John Brennan's a hero. You know, you have both these sides split, both of them equally as nuts in a lot of cases, both of them equally unfounded claims in a lot of cases. And then on the, on the juxtapose, you have a lot of truth in, in both sides. And I think what we're seeing is what, uh, I, I forget the guy's name, but he was an advisor to Obama. And he basically said to Obama, hey, man, there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out here. We had to start getting them on our side. So that's what you're seeing, man. I mean, new, the smith Munt Act was, le, you know, reevaluated so that people can be propagandized within our own borders. And, uh, and that's what you're seeing. And I think it, it kind of to wrap up the whole political angle of that, it, like, how come the To The Stars Academy was so big right before the 2016 election and then Trump won, Hillary lost, and then we saw none of it? Because Hillary was probably going to use that in her Agenda 21, whatever, you know, now we have COVID. But Alex, aliens, they're very interesting. I got to ask you, though, you know, you said you were kind of late to the alien game. What was the first conspiracy theory that woke you up to maybe like, or, or the first piece of information that woke you up to like, hey, you know, this is not, there, there's something more to the story I'm being told in school or from my parents or from church or wherever you were when you were a young man. What, what was that moment? Can you? Well, you, you know, for me, and I'd love to hear for you and Jay what it was, but it was kind of, my path was, first, my path was business. Yeah. I was about getting paid. That's all I cared about, you know, seriously growing up and as part of my upbringing and just the values I was instilled in. And I was interested in yoga. I was interested in spirituality. I was interested in other stuff, but I backburnered everything because I wanted to, I wanted to make money. So, you know, I got an MBA and I was a computer programmer and then I worked for uh, a consulting firm. And then I went back to my PhD in artificial intelligence and then I saw that wasn't, I wasn't getting it paid there either. So I was like, okay. And I started a company. So I started a tech company this way back in the day. I'm an old guy, but you know, and it, it, I didn't know what the hell I was doing and I floundered for years, but I managed to kind of persevere and you know, I did well. I sold my company, I made some money. And then I was like, okay, that chapter's done. Now I want to know really my, my orientation really was spirituality. Who are we? Why are we here? And I had a sense that science should be addressing this stuff, and it wasn't in some way. And to be, I just was, I was, I didn't know what I was, I had that sense, but I really kind of believed that science was somehow legit, you know, that if you just got to the right people and you talked to them, you know, you'd get a better answer. And, you know, and, and I told this to Sam, and it's the total truth, is that I started looking for spirituality and wound up in conspiracy, you know, and a lot of other people do it the other way around. Science, I discovered, was a conspiracy. I was looking at consciousness science, like parapsychology, near-death experience, and I found that it was 
being suppressed. All the stuff that we talk about in all our, it was being suppressed. It was being distorted. It was being deceptively presented. And I had like super respectable people, you know, Rupert Sheldrick, Cambridge biologist, you know, just top-notch guy presenting at the Royal Society in England and saying, this guy's deceptive. These people are lying about my research. And that's what began to open me up to looking at conspiracy theory. So when I started conspiracy theory, I got to tell you, I started very, very tame. But it's not really, because it's very important. It's JFK. But JFK, which is, you know, kind of before my time, but it's further, far enough back. And there's so much stuff on it. That's where I started. And I've kind of said this a little bit before, a few times people get bored. But I remember getting to a point where I had thoroughly dug into it. And I was sitting on the edge of the bed and I was talking to my wife. I go, you know, I get it. I mean, that is totally fake and it's been faked, you know, and there's no way Lee Harvey Oswald alone. And it was, you know, all these other but 9-11, oh man, I could never go there. You know, I could never. There, there's this, there's this. I was holding, I already knew that the whole thing was just about my world was turning, you know, but I was like, no, no, you know, and then of course 9-11 was just it didn't take long. Once you get one of them under your belt, right? Right. You guys tell me your story, but I think yeah. for us, um, the like I'm 26, Mark's 26. Um, you know that was definitely the major event for me and i've heard mark say it before that that was for him as well you know well i wouldn't say i mean at that age being so young no, no, not the, when it happened but like that's what yeah. got like when i you know computers became Wheeler. huge the internet came big you know i was probably like 10 or 12 looking at these youtube videos you know these random youtube videos talking about it you know so I think so it was 9-11. It was 9-11 for you guys? For me, I, yeah, I wouldn't definitely. say for me, it wasn't. I would say it, it was realer with 9-11 because I have a visceral childhood memory of that day. You know, you can't, yeah. I know at no matter what age you are, you probably have a memory of where you were that day. But as this, you know, as someone who's in second grade yeah. and then you're, you have to watch this, they took us into the library to watch it on TV as if it was some kind of like presentation of, of what was to come and then we all went home and i didn't live far from the school so i walked home and i remember looking up in the sky like oh shit is there and then our parents had it on tv all day when we got home yeah and then it was like what like a, <laughs> like a, a whole week of the same image of a, a tower on fire and then i guess really the conspiracy that pushed me over the edge was cannabis i was a wrestler I was a martial artist and I was very set on being sober because my mother, you know, she drinks alcohol and that always bothered me as a kid. So I, I as a young man, I was very determined to be sober for the rest of my life. And, uh, and then something just kind of pushed it deeper and deeper. Like, Hey, Bruce Lee smoked weed. Hey, Eddie Bravo smokes weed. Hey, all these great martial artists are smoking weed. And they're not only doing martial arts, they're performing better than everyone else. So I had to like investigate and all the knucklehead kids I was hanging out with were smoking weed already and they already tried to drag me into it. So I was like, all right, I'll try it. And man, did it just open my eyes because I had all these preconceived conservative notions of this stuff is bad for you. It's bad for you. It's bad for you. And all it did to me in that first few weeks of trying it was 
put me in touch with my soul again. You know, like I, I'd always known what it felt like to be in touch with my soul when I was out in nature. And when I was like a kid, I would pretend I was an animal. And I, I really think that there was something going on there where I was interacting with, you know, my spirit body and cannabis brought me right back in touch with it. It washed away all those preconceived notions and it, it kind of fired up my intuition. And once I fired up that intuition, I was like, hey, this intuition is kind of like a, a compass, right? It's pointing me further and further down this path towards truth. And if I don't preserve my mind and preserve my health and preserve this state of being that I've been blessed with, then I'm going to lose this compass. So that's kind of where it started for me. And, and it was really young. And that's why like, it kind of blossomed into why I have this, my family thinks I'm crazy insecurity because, you know, I've always been um, since then unafraid of anything. Like, I don't care. You know, you could tell me like 9-11, like this and that, like it didn't scare me to learn like that everything I had thought was wrong. Like the whole ego trip was gone, you know? So cannabis was a big part of it for me. And I mean, we named our first podcast, the bud triangle in honor of, of smoking bud, but, uh, but yeah, I think this is more appropriate. Um, <laughs> you know? So yeah, it was definitely cannabis for me. And now I'm learning that it goes way deeper. I mean, have you ever heard Alex of, uh, of the holy um, anointing oil that Jesus Christ used. There's a guy named Chris Bennett who's interpreted this to mean cannabis. And he's taken like the, the word calamus, which was mistranslated to Kanesh, which was actually supposed to mean cannabis. So there's this big like book he wrote connecting like the first three chapters are all about the Bible and cannabis. But he goes through the whole history of, of like cannabis since then. And it was pretty eye-opening. But uh, have you ever heard of that, Alex? Not specifically, but I've heard about the, uh, an, the anointing oils being entheogens, psychedelics, yeah. who knows. And, you know, so that wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's really... To me, that's really tricky from a spiritual perspective because I honor it and respect it in terms of how people are, you know, number one, I honor and respect what you're saying tremendously, which is the conspiratorial part of it. Because the idea that you are not in charge of your consciousness yeah. is probably the greatest conspiracy that you could ever fucking fall for. Yeah. And of course, that's what science is telling you. The science, the science goes one step further. So you don't really even have one, Mark, Jay. It's just an illusion. It's just your brain. So you regaining control of that. I, I, I think that's pretty cool. I never heard it, heard someone talk about their experience with weed being that uh, that kind of interpret that way, but I totally get that and respect that. At the same time, I, I'm not sure what's going on there. I'm really curious about um, what's going on there. Um, in, in terms of, you know, do, do, do you think there's a spirit, uh, a specific spirit entity associated with cannabis? Well, 
I'll a lot of people this. see a feminine spirit yeah. and kind of at war with the spirit of ayahuasca. And it's like, interesting. No, I'll tell you this much. I, I'll tell you more than that. But so when I was first getting into everything, right, I was in New Haven, Connecticut, um, going to school at this community college. And um, I was studying anthropology because at that point in my life, I'd already smoked weed, but I, I would, was very interested in like connecting all the dots. I wanted to show like how universal this all was because you, you learn about like the whole megalith stuff and like the, the, um, the astro theology stuff and you start to see how all of these different cultures were connected somehow. So that kind of opened my eyes. And then funny enough, I'm smoking a joint. I'm wearing a, a shirt that has a, has a man named, uh, he's right here, Sitting Bull. Uh, oh, yeah. So I had a Sitting Bull shirt on and this short, stout, kind of uh, very dark, black hair, Native American dude. He's from the Southwest. He comes up to me and he's like, hey, bro, I like that shirt, you know. And this New Haven, it's not a big city. So like, it's not like the park was jumping. There wasn't a lot of people in the park. So he walked up to me we started talking about my shirt and next thing I know this guy's mentoring me you know and he kind of told me this like hey listen you're smoking weed but you know and I, I told him what I told you how weed made me like have this feeling it was very obvious to me right away when this happened back when I was 16 and and he kind of explained exactly what you just said is like when you smoke weed there is a well he told me this is what his tribe believes right that there's a plant spirit associated with every plant. It's tobacco, cannabis, all of these things are sacred. Some of them are dangerous. Some of them are poisonous. Some of them can teach you lessons. Some of them are worth nothing to you, you know? So he, he did kind of lay it out to me like that. Like there's a, there, there is a spirit realm. And I was already kind of engaging with that idea. And I'll be honest with you, Alex, I don't 100% believe that. I don't 100% believe that even though I may be in a relationship with a spirit like that. I mean, I smoke weed every day. I haven't been proven that yet. And I think it would be disingenuous to, to put that kind of information out there for people because I don't want someone to think like, Oh, all I got to do is smoke weed and I'll be just like Mark. Like, no, 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 this is what works for me. This is what was important for my journey. And if there is a planet, a plant spirit that I'm engaging with, well, you know, I've been yet to see any concrete evidence that I can show anybody else. And, you know, that's, that's the thing. It's like, I, I don't really, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to be that guy who, who just believes things. I kind of do want to have doubt, you know, and then doubt I think is important in that sense. And I get what angle you're coming at. Cause it's like, you know, you smoke weed, you're getting this high, you're feeling like a daze, you no, know, no, no, no. That was exactly where I was coming from. Do you know you know who Graham Hancock is? Of course. Yeah. So, it, did you ever see the 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 interview Graham Hancock did on Rogan, which I think is it's interesting to talk about Rogan. I have no idea where Rogan's coming from. At times he seems like such a gift to all of us for what he's done, and other times he seems like such a shill. But I I just don't know. Yeah. But if you, if people haven't seen it, you go watch that. So Graham Hancock's story is about ayahuasca and he said i went down you know andy's or uh, the amazon peru or wherever and he does ayahuasca and when he does ayahuasca 
he is met by the spirit entity behind ayahuasca, which is a female spirit entity. And the spirit entity says, I'm here and I'm going to take you to the next level. You will now, you know, I'll, I'll take you further on your journey. But you gotta, gotta give up the weight. And, and she doesn't say it from, she says it from a spiritual perspective that I don't like that bitch behind the weed kind of thing. I'm just telling this is you, anyone go look this up on, uh, on Rogan, right? So his story is interesting. So he comes back and he says, Joe, he's talking to Rogan. He goes, Joe, I smoke weed every day for the last 20 years. Because a lot of people don't know that. I've written these books. I kind of keep it straight, you know, very, because Graham Hancock, you know, he's got that British thing. So he's, <laughs> he's very buttoned down. He goes, I, I, I smoke weed, you know, every day for the last 20 years. I came home. I went to hit the weed. I couldn't. I couldn't. I physically couldn't. And there was this spiritual thing going on with this battle between these two spirit entities. Now, I found that interesting, and I've heard other accounts of that. So I, I, I what I hear you saying, and I respect that, that that's not your experience. You haven't had that spiritual involvement. To, to me, uh, that's my thing. I, I just wonder these things. I don't know what that means. I, th I think to the extent, like the I think we are all enmeshed in that spirit world in a way that we don't totally understand. So yeah. I'm not picking on any, I'm not picking on people who use cannabis and saying, oh, well, no, we're all in the soup, right? I mean, it's one way or another. I just, I just think that's kind of an interesting point. I do have to say for me personally, what I'm about is disintermediation, motherfucker. That means I want to go directly. I don't want to go through spirits. I don't want to go through, I want, I don't want to go through religion, your yeah. freaking book, take your book. And you, you know, Hey, I've read a bunch of stuff that inspires me, but I want to go directly to the source. And I think I can go directly to the source. And that's just what feels right yeah. to me. Yeah, no, I respect that a hundred percent. I think, um, I think I, I hesitate to share like more of the personal cannabis spiritual experiences because they do kind of fall into this category of like dreams and prayers and all these things that are super personal and not to, I mean, for people who do put this kind of material out there, I, I would feel pretentious if I came off and just said like, yeah, cannabis did this to me and oh, I saw the white light and it's just like, I don't want to instruct people down the path that I'm going down. You know what I mean? Like exactly yeah, yeah, what you yeah. just said. Like they got to find it on their own. Like this is just what works for me. And it might not be what works for me for the rest of my life. Um, and, you know, I do, I don't know. I do, I do think that the fact that I use tobacco and cannabis always is also another thing. Cause I don't, I don't mess around with cigarettes, but I do use like a more, specialized version of tobacco that's a little closer to the real what grows out of the ground and not this like meshed up pulp that they roll into cigarettes you know and i do think there's something to that because that's what my my friend amos taught me he said you you want to smoke the the cannabis with tobacco because it elevates at a it was so long ago i don't remember exactly what he said but 
Yeah, that that it, might be it too. You know, I I, I interviewed a, a shaman way back, and I a uh, really cool guy, Australian guy, and I got to know him pretty good. And I actually I hadn't hadn't talked to my son, and and you know, so we kind of became more more than just kind of a guy I interviewed. And he worked, he had some amazing, amazing stories with, uh, with ayahuasca. And maybe you know this, but in a lot of the ceremonies, tobacco is part of the ceremony. Like they'll burn tobacco and, you know, they, they do it more like kind of hot boxing. You know, they'll throw it in the fire and there's a lot of smoke and everyone's inhaling the tobacco and stuff like that. But the one, like, minor point that I found interesting is he said, you know, it, 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 and uh, he, he said, the ayahuasca experience, you will see it in people who don't drink the ayahuasca. The tobacco, the music, the whole thing, the set and setting, you know, it is connecting. It's not just, and that's also, I guess, my, my question issue. It's like, it's not just about brain chemistry, right? So what there's other things that seem to be happening there on this spiritual level. And that's what keeps coming back to me. You yeah. know, just one story he showed, he, he shared with me that I thought was uh, just, just incredible. Cause again, I, I trust this guy. I just think guys honest. I spoke with him a bunch of times, but he talked about um, doing this ceremony and uh, calling on the spirits as part of the ceremony. They're doing this ayahuasca ceremony. And they said, okay, stop right where you are. We'll be there in five minutes. <coughs> he said, there was this wall of rain. He said, like, we're standing in the sunshine. There was this wall of rain. And five minutes later, it came right up and was like a sheet of water falling right in front of us. And then it stopped. It was like, whoa, you know, I mean, it's like, there's a lot of people out there that have experiences in these other dimensions that I'm glad we're having this discussion because I'm glad we started with talking about aliens because it's like, it kind of goes full circle. It's like Jeffrey Epstein. Okay. We get it. Uh, aliens. Uh, now we're talking about spiritual beings that we don't even have the beginnings of understanding our relationship to that other dimension. And I call bullshit on anyone who says that they do. You know, I did. I was listening to Sean Stone the other day, you know, like fifth dimension, third dimension, you know, all this. We don't know shit, man. That's yeah. okay, but we don't know you shit. You can't measure, you know, the non-physical with physical terms, you know. It's like we apply these overlays to things and think we have it all figured out but that's what's really interesting about when you study anthropology is like okay the guys in Australia the aborigines and the guys in South America you know whichever tribe you're talking about because there's thousands there's millions <laughs> um, it's so interesting how they came to similar conclusions but used completely different terms vocabulary language all different you know and and obviously there are some similarities and some words and you can track the etymology on some in some cases but for the most part i think you know you make a great point there alex is like you we don't know we're all interacting with this kind of thing and when we try to say that we do know you kind of miss 
you kind of miss the the whole the real meaning behind it is because yeah, things are I, I, not I like I like a couple things. I mean, one, one thing, you know, just I always gravitate towards the disagreement part. But I, I agree wholeheartedly, you know, these similarities are just like unbelievably important. But there's also like real differences, too, that I think are, are real important, too, because, you know, we don't want to kind of gloss it over and like, oh, yeah, it's all the same. Ultimately, it's like, no, I mean, some people come down for hundreds of years, and they wind up on one camp and another winds up, you know, on another camp, whether it be how they relate to the spirit being or the hierarchy or, you know, the evil spirits where they're very much a lot of differences there, but I so agree with what you're saying. And, you know, it even ties back in a way to, we're talking about Grant Cameron, the UFO researcher who I have a ton of respect for, and he's done so much great work, but I also think he's kind of taken this consciousness thing, which I've studied like crazy and he's kind of taken it in a weird way, you know, which is again, like somebody has a different view of things. But I digress. Over and over again, you hear from people who have the abduction experience, have an out-of-body experience, have a DMT experience, have a near-death experience. They'll say the same thing, which is what you were just hinting at, is I had a sense that I knew everything. A question would no sooner come into my head than it was instantly answered. But I don't have that now. When I came back and I packed it all back into this shit that I'm in, you know, it don't work like that. And I think that's, uh, like, we don't know if that's true because we're both in the doubt phase. But damn, I've heard that so many times. And damn, that fits with our experience of, of what we're doing. And what it says to me is, all we can do is, you know, falsify this and say, you know, science has taught us enough to not trust science. And that's a huge accomplishment. Hats off to you, but you've obsoleted yourself. That's your accomplishment. It's not that we're going to get all the way to the end by doing statistical analysis on, you know, or quantum computers or wherever, artificial intelligence, all that. It ain't going to be the end because there's this whole other huge dimension that just isn't factored into that. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're definitely dealing with, with something that once you're in it, you can't take it back here with you, you know, and uh, I don't know, I mean, there's so many places to go from there. I, I wanted to ask you a lot about, you know, science seems to have this kind of status in our culture where people will just hang their hat on science as if oh yeah i just subscribe to whatever science says yeah. and and it kind of removes a lot of the critical thinking from that person's decision making when it comes to you know not any pivotal decisions but conversational decisions that you make when you t engage with you know someone in some kind of debate on different ideas and and a lot of people will just reserve themselves to resign from debate and say, oh, well, that's not scientific. I'm with the science. So I, I wonder, because it seemed like religion used to be that force in the world of like, oh, no, anything that goes against what I believe is wrong. Now science is anything that isn't scientific is wrong. But are we all forgetting here, folks? Science is a method. It's not a, a dogma, you know. 
So I kind of wanted to ask, like, what were what were some of the guests you've had on Skeptico that that you can remember were kind of like the, a good example of this type of person who you were able to, I don't know, you talk to a lot of people, you get into debates, like, were there any debates that were a little controversial because, like, the person was a good example of someone who didn't want to open their mind, like a closed-minded kind of re- hang their hat on science kind of person? Yeah, yeah, there's a ton because, <laughs> uh, it, well, again, you know, Mark, Jay, I'm telling you the truth. When I got into this, because it was a long time ago, I didn't know exactly where it was going to go. And when uh, in the very beginning of my first book, I tell a story, and it's a damn true story. And that's that I was interviewing Dean Radin, who I think is, if people don't know him, he is a parapsychology researcher, but he's a top-notch scientist. He's got a PhD really, really qualified, worked at Bell Labs, worked at multiple universities. And now, okay, which one is that? Uh, I have The Conscious Universe and Real Magic by uh, Dean Radin. Great. I think that's his first and his third book. Phenomenal guy, right? Really, really a scientist. Uh, A scientist, scientist. And way back in the day when I interviewed him, there were, it was back in the skeptical thing, when there was these things called skeptics, which don't really exist anymore, because, you know, they were James Randi. James Randi, CIA, if you look into it, you'll find CIA, pedo guy, who was, you know, they had the goods on him. And when I say CIA, like people misunderstand, it doesn't mean he worked for the CIA. It just means that a lot of the it's people in that kind of controlled <laughs> opposition, let's kind of steer people the other way. They were just being, he wasn't smart enough to be, but if you look into that history, you'll, you'll just find it and verify it. Yeah. And, and, and he would just, uh, James Randi, like a lot of people don't know, would, he would just lie. You know? <laughs> like th- they did all this research in, um, at Stanford Research Institute. And if people know Stanford Research Institute and the Stargate program and the remote viewing program, which a lot of people know about because it's very important, it's the psychic spying program that was going on. There's been some movies and some stuff done on that. But before they even got to the psychic spying remote viewing, they were just looking at parapsychology, these extended abilities that people had. And they were working with an Israeli Mossad agent who was, it wasn't an agent, but again, Mossad connected, Uri Geller, right? Which a lot of people think he was discredited. He wasn't, but Stanford Research Institute had two really world-class scientists, Hal Putoff, Russell Targ, and these videos, folks, you can go watch these videos on YouTube that they did of experiments with Uri Geller. So they take the really old, um, film cans, you know, little 35 millimeter film cans, if you remember, you know, they're like about that big, you know, really tiny. And they go in another room and they put like, uh, I don't know, a piece of cotton in one of them, you know, and then bring them back and put them on a table and go, okay, which one? And the guy say, boom, you know, that's the one. Or they do, you know, just really simple experiments. And again, the skeptics would say, oh, it's been this, it's, you know, it, it, 
And so what Rand and is just preposterous. You know, these guys are PhD level scientists. Anyone can do that experiment. That's like a, a junior high experiment, you know? So it's not like these guys were being fooled, but what James Randi would do, he like, he lied. He said the guy who was doing the camera work for him told him that the experiments were faked and this and that. And the guy had to come out and say, I never said that, you know? Like, so this is way back in the day. I'm digressing. I got too many stories. I'm like an old man with too many no, that's stories. All right. You started with Dean Radin. <laughs> so here's where I was at with Dean Radin. I'm talking to Dean. I'm, I'm talking to Dean Radin, and I had <clears throat> played him a clip from an interview with the guy who I later interviewed from uh, uh, Yale University, uh, Dr. Stephen Novella. Okay. Uh, noted skeptic. He's still out there doing the skeptic shtick, and he had said. And he and this other guy who was directly CIA came out, Ray Hyman from the University of Oregon, Dr. Ray Hyman. And this is complicated, but Steve Novella is interviewing Ray Hyman and they are laughing at how ridiculous Dean Radin's research is. Oh, 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 then he did this and I looked into it. It was kind of, so I'm sitting there and I feel like, you know, like I'm telling you, I, I got to push him, you know? So I'm asking Raiden, I go, hey, what is it? You know, these guys say they got the goods on you. And there's like this pause. And it's like, if you do a good interview, you know, you got that pause. You don't know which way this thing's going to go. I don't know if I've just caught Dean Raiden flat-footed and he's really a chump or if it's something else. And he calmly just goes through the whole thing. And he goes, well, actually... The tough thing about that experiment, what they're doing, if I can digress even further, Dean Radin's one of his most famous experiments is what's called a presentiment experiment or like precognition. And what he did is he sat somebody down in front of a computer and then measured their physical response to the image that was about to be shown on the computer, whether it was a horrific image or whether it was Winnie the Pooh there, Jay, you know, something that wouldn't have a response. There you go. Or a, a field of green, you know. And what Raiden found, and this totally trips you out, you cannot reconcile this with science, is that people were having a physiological response to a very highly provocative image before the image was even selected by the computer. Pre-sentiment, space-time out the window, the whole thing is different. Back to like what we're saying, right? This is Raiden's finding. Raiden's finding is replicated 50 times, like unprecedented. Seven different labs around the world, unprecedented. Six sigma results, if anyone knows statistics and those off the charts, nothing gets up to six sigma unless it's like, you know. So here we are. And these guys, Steve Novella and Ray Hammond are laughing at this guy's work. And he says, well, the tough thing about that experiment is baseline, getting the smooth reading on someone's physiology before they respond, because everybody has a different baseline, kind of like a lie detector test. The tough thing about the lie detector test is getting someone to be calm enough where you can see the jump. And he goes on to explain how, how these, I don't want to say they're nitwits, but they're nitwits, but they're not nitwits. They're purposefully trying 
to trash a guy's research. But when you really push them on the science stuff, they can't deliver the goods. And Dean Radin's there delivering the goods, telling you how he used the most complicated and accurate statistics and meta-analysis in order to get a proper baseline that was cutting edge at the time in terms of how to do that work. So this is like the whole enchilada to me in terms of opening up that science, this is like a small example where science is fake. These guys were faking it. The guy who was the real guy who had used science to give us a picture into something that was totally different was being trampled by this machine that just wants to keep spitting out the same thing. And it doesn't matter if the guy was from Yale and the neurology department and all the credentials, he was full of shit. I did three or four interviews with him. And, you know, when we, we had a good time. He's not a bad guy. He's just a useful idiot. That's, that's what it is. Yeah. And, and that kind of brings me to my initial reasoning for asking you this is like talking to all these people, how do you diagnose it? Do you think that it's a conglomeration of useful idiots being prodded around with a carrot on a stick by certain, you know, or three letter, you know, organizations like uh, CIA and so on? Or, or do you think it's more of a kind of like they set the wheels in motion and then everybody just kind of falls in because that's where the ticket is. And if you don't go with the, the flow, you go with the parade, then you don't get the cake, you know? I, I like that. I like that. That's a good, that's a good analogy. I was going to use another one, but I'm not going to mix them. <laughs> um, it, and, and I think, as you're kind of almost alluding to with the question, I think it's always going to be both. But if I just always put it like, again, from a business perspective, if I was running that as a project, well, if they can run it on their own, I'll let them run it on their own as long yeah. as they're going in the direction I want. Yeah. Now, when I need to get it back, if they go a little bit off course, I try and make the minimal amount of correction because I want they were doing good before. Let's get them just back on track a little bit. If anyone really steps out of line and needs to be reassigned to another office, we can do that. But there's it's not that it's not that hard. We just kind of play the game, you know. Yeah. The man agers, the managers, the agers of man, <laughs> you know, that's right on. It is. some, uh, some sneaky managers, it, it, but you know, it, and it's sneaky, but it's, it's the way the world works. You know, that's one thing. I mean, uh, who, who's going to run the world? Cause ultimately somebody has to run the world, you know? So, it's kind of this balancing act of, you know, the rights of individual and freedom, but also a meritocracy where if you got the goods, you rise to the top. If you wind up on the bottom of the heap, then, you know, don't expect to have much of a voice in what's going on because it's a competition. It's always been a competition and it, it, it will be a competition. And if you don't see that, if you're hoping for something else, if you're hoping for your universal income or something like that, bro, you know, you're just, you're just giving up and that's okay too, but I'm yeah. not, <laughs> I'm not giving up. I feel you. I'm with you there. I think uh, that was another big, you know, eye opener for me was the whole realm of science and how stiff some of these people seem and how, 
closed-minded they seem. You know, they sit on their high horses of no, no this and that about a particular subject, but then they step into the shark tank with you, Alex, and you ask them a couple hard questions, and they don't sound as smart as they used to. And I think, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of people in academia just don't ask those hard questions, or they're incentivized not to. You know, I mean, you got all these teachers who are the gatekeepers and if you don't do what they say, you don't, you know, if you question the uh, itinerary of ideas that this professor's presenting to you, you don't make it, you know, you don't make it onto the PhD stage. So these people who we respect, I mean, they're respected for being really good at following the system. I mean, there are outliers, obviously, very great men have gotten PhDs and done great things with it, but it doesn't, you know, that's not the majority. That's the exception, I think, you know. Yeah, and, and you know, I want to kind of slow my roll on the other part too, because we're all working through the machine, you know. Right. No one's, I'm certainly not, you know, I got to toe the line, you know, on, on different things, and we all do that. So we got to kind of pick our shots and, you know, it isn't, that, that's why I think the spiritual part is, is so interesting, because I always feel like I have one foot in both worlds, you know, because I feel compelled to have a, a foot in the material world and, you know, provide for my family and, you know, take care of my responsibilities and stuff like that. And I also realize that that, that can't possibly, can't possibly be what this stuff is about. It just can't ultimately, it has to be about something much, much larger. And that's what I think like the near-death experience points to, you know, and the other spiritually transformative experiences point to is that, you know, it's about the love. It sure as hell ain't about the money. Yeah. So, we always have, you know, a couple closing questions. We're not quite towards the end, Alex, but I want to give you enough time to answer these questions. Um, you know, what do you think as a listener of this show, people probably found the show because they can relate to the title. You know, where do you, what, what kind of advice would you give to someone, uh, you know, in me and Jameson P's ra age range and, you know, what, like, what do you think as a, uh, you know, alternative thinker, like what are some steps you can take to, to get your foot in both worlds in a comfortable way? So you're not too far into one side or too far into the other. Cause I think it's a lot of, for me, it's a lot of like, you know, trying to figure out all this stuff and neglecting the more concrete stuff that, you know, needs to happen for me to not be homeless, you know, whereas Jameson P is kind of the opposite, like, uh, he's, he's a little more on his, his thing, and, and the conspiracy theories are a little lacking, you know. Well, I mean, th that's an interesting question about the business of, you know, podcasting, and the business of doing this stuff. And I, I really feel like, you know, that has so not been my thing um because i've never charged i don't have any firewalls and i don't uh, sell the book i mean i give the book away you know happy to you know do that because so 
I, I'm not the right person to do that. I think it's awesome that there are people that are doing well uh, doing it. I mean, just to kind of slip into that mode for a minute, it does seem like it's like a lot of markets that, you know, yep, first mover advantage is kind of gone. The people that have staked their ground have kind of a better position. Uh, does it mean that somebody can't come in and, and you know, carve out a niche because it's happening every freaking day? There's no question about it. But, you know, in business, they talk about the first mover advantage and the person who gets there first, it's just a lot easier and it's a lot harder to play catch up. And there's so much content, you know, and it's like we're all kind of struggling to get through and listen to all the content. So I, I think it's it's like, this is a long answer, but this is something else that's, business is, is super interesting to me and super passionate to, to me about business things. And it's like I was, Talking to a guy the other day, this is not what he wanted to hear, but, you know, he was giving me the whole spiel and he's doing the coaching. He says, I tell people, you know, do what you love and the money will follow. And I said, man, to me, that's terrible advice. That doesn't work at all. Why would you think that? Why would you see some connection between doing what you love and money? You know, I mean, like when I started out, I was doing whatever the fuck I had to do to make the most money. I wasn't doing it because I loved it. And then I was doing the next thing because, you know, I thought I could make more money doing that. Now, if you're saying that you you do what you love and you'll be rewarded by doing what you love, fucking A, I'm down with that. That's awesome. That's perfect. That's beautiful. But why do you think, what, where did you get the idea that that is somehow connected with this money thing, you know? So if you like being a kindergarten teacher, that means you're going to make a bunch of money being a kindergarten teacher, you know, or so I, I think like if you want the money, the, the, the crumbs are there. All you have to do is follow the crumbs. I, I, like I said, when I started my business then, I, I didn't know shit. I started reading books. Those books are still out there and there's a ton of new books and there's a ton of new podcasts and you just put yourself into it and you just say, I am going to learn not just what to do. I'm going to learn what to believe because copying people's beliefs are what lead to success. But if you don't want to do that, if that's not your thing, you know, if money isn't your thing, then that's okay too. figure out how to survive with, you know, what you, what you can and, and, and do what you love is awesome. I mean, I think do what you love is is awesome for people. I just, you get my little rant about, you know, why do you think doing what you love is going to. No. Yeah. I need to do that. You know, I, I definitely, I mean, maybe the advice was uh, more for me and Jay and I should have been more clear about that, but yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I appreciate that, Alex. And you know, your podcast is a big inspiration for a small fish over here. I mean, this year I went from being like a listener to podcast, huge fan to working for Sam Tripoli. So I think I'm doing something right. And I think like this, the idea that when you find what you're, you're meant to do, the universe gives you a little bit of a buff, you know what I mean? It gives you a little, yes. little bit of a, a easier ride possibly. At least that's what yeah, I'm Yeah. I, I don't want to be too much of a hard ass because you're, no, you're, right. you're absolutely right. I, I, I'm just, I, I just, the, the point I guess I'm making is, you know, 
you've got to constantly be switching gears and looking at the money angle. You know, I interviewed this guy uh, just recently in the last few months. His name is Riz Verk, uh, Rizwan Verk. Brilliant guy. Really liked him too. We had a really good time. And, and he was super successful gamer, super smart about AI, has this, wrote this incredible book about the simulation hypothesis, which we all get kind of thing. But then he wrote a, a more recent book about uh, biggest mistakes entrepreneurs make because he was at the MIT Game Lab, all these people that are trying to develop games and sell games and be successful. And then he went to Silicon Valley and he did some startups. Again, the guy's super smart, super successful. And I thought, you know, one of the points he made in his second book, his entrepreneur book is kind of a blending of what I was saying, kind of being a hard ass, which I shouldn't be, of yes, you have to be passionate. You, you, you have to get those signs from the universe like you're talking about that says, oh, okay, I am on the right course. But then you gotta be, you know, you gotta be that smart guy. He steps back and goes, okay, now how do I monetize this? You know, okay, is this gonna work? Is this gonna work? Is there some new angle here? Is there some new thing that I can do? How do I get, you know, you have to marry that with, with make the money. That was Riz's point, you know, and I, I thought he, he did a much better job of kind of explaining it that, hey, if you don't have the passion, if you don't love it, then you probably won't even have a chance of being in the game, but you got to have the passion, then you got to marry it to the, to the money part. And that's hard. That's hard because everybody wants money. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're working it out. I mean, you know, I'm living with my dad still, so we're trying to, I'm trying to get out and maybe be Jay's roommate so we can save some money and, and keep this thing going and, and find a, a find a, a career that allows for the podcast and we've then all had maybe that family the dinner will become the career, you know, someday, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a road, you know, and, and I definitely uh, think that the topics are really more what I'm interested in. So even if I'm, I'm on the back end working for Sam the rest of my life, that'd be great too. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, another, another final question for you, Alex, I don't want to take up too much of your night. You've been so generous with your time and, you know, we really appreciate having you. If you could recommend like three, uh, one or two or three podcasts that you've done like guests that you particularly really loved interviewing that our listeners can go and shoot over to Skeptico and check those out. I know I'd love to know for my own listening. I've cracked it. You got a huge, you know, RSS feed. I've cracked into it uh, a bit in the past few weeks since you uh, subscribed to us, but I got to admit the name with the whole, you brought up James Randi and I love, I forgot to mention this before, but at first I heard the name skeptical. So I'm like, who first the hell is this guy? And James Randi. That's what I <laughs> equated it to. And then I heard you on the Primerica show. I heard you with Greg Carlwood and I'm like, holy, this guy's on it, you know, cause you're doing what I think needs to be done with the whole taking the fight to the scientists, taking the fight to the PhD guys and asking them the questions that need to be asked because if not, you know, all this stuff kind of stays in their realm and it's hard for people like me and Jay to figure out, you know, if those guys are legit or not, you know? And uh, so, yeah, what, what are some, some episodes of Skeptico that you, you know, I, I almost say like 
you know, I got this advice from somebody a long time ago, and I think it was really good advice. It's like I asked them a book recommendation, and he said, go to the bookstore. Go to the bookstore, go to the aisle, and yeah. it'll find you. You know what I mean? And I think that to me, because there is this spiritual angle to all these things, if you go to Skeptico, if you're so inclined, you know, the show will find you, you know, yeah. the show will find you. And I, I just believe that. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, it, it, it kind of does fall into that synchronicity realm when you, yeah. you're scrolling through the podcast app and you find that name, you're like, this name sounds interesting. You don't know why. It's just another name, you know, and, and you just pick that name. And, and next thing you know, two hours later, you're like finding that person again and again or whatever the case is, you know, and, and I definitely had that when I heard you on, I think the first time I heard you was uh, on the higher side chats. Cause that podcast, as soon as I found that podcast, I subscribed right away. And I was like, you know, plus member in it, you know, all the episodes I've listened to. So that one's a big inspiration, but, uh, but yeah, Eric does a great job. Yeah. Well, so do you. And, uh, and yeah, that's some really, it's a good way to put it. You know, I didn't mean to put you on the spot obviously, but, uh, yeah, man. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Is there anything you want to share with? I know you don't do ads or sponsors. You don't really care if people check out your podcast or not. You seem to be pretty cool in that respect. Do you got anything you want to end it with? No, other than, you know, this is really, this is really good. And I do, I do think you were really onto something. I'll go back to the beginning. You know, I, I like almost feel like I almost contradict myself. I think you guys are onto something. I think it totally, totally, you know, my family thinks I'm crazy. I think is, is, is encapsulates it, you know, encapsulates where I think a lot of us are kind of at because being out there with it almost circles back to the first thing we were saying, Mark is like, we're winning that battle. We've already won that battle. The family, no, man, they know they're beat, you know? Yeah. And when you can when you can come out and say it like that, say, I know y'all think I'm crazy. Then it's like, you got, you got it, man. Cause you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I'm with you, man. And I, yeah, yeah. Only now, only now we all got a big smile on our face. Like, yeah, I know y'all think I'm crazy. And they're yeah. going, oh, shit, man. I, I, I know he's not crazy. I, I said he's crazy for years. And now I have to, I have to, you know, eat that humble pie because I know he's not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the name just kind of came to me after spending time with my family this summer, you know, is kind of a weird, uh, turn of events COVID you'd think you'd spend less time with people but it just made way for me to spend time with my family totally. and nobody else you know so it was really yeah. actually it was great to spend that much time with them but at the same time I remember driving home one day and I'm like my family thinks I'm crazy and uh, that dawned on me, I'm like holy crap like that's the podcast that's the podcast you know and you have that like boom inspiration moment so you know, thanks for uh, letting me share that with you, Alex. And I'm honored, man, that you subscribed to our Patreon. Oh. Really, really, really awesome, man. We appreciate it. Uh, that's, I'm cool. I'm, I'm really cool with seeing that. That's great. So, uh, yeah, we hope to have you back on soon and uh, and hear from you again. Stay in touch, man. Uh, check out his books. He's written uh, Why 
evil matters, right? Am I remembering that? Yes. And how science and religion fumbled a big one. And then your first book was uh, Why Science is Wrong, right? And about almost everything. About exactly. almost everything. Dot, 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 about almost everything. Sorry, I had that written down somewhere. But So thanks for listening, everybody, and have a good night. Mark is bananas. Crazy. Okay, this guy's losing his mind. I'm Don't listen crazy to him. For feeling so lonely. Follow us on Patreon.com slash NFTIC. That's Patreon.com slash NFTIC.